right, welcome back to Global Views. I am your host, Bree, and today our guest joining us is Ken Jola, who's an incredible interpreter who works here with us at Global. Hi, Ken, how are you? Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. We're excited to have you here. Um, so like I said, Ken is an interpreter here with us. And Ken, my understanding is you were, before you were with Global, you were an interpreter with the, was it the U.S. Army? Uh, it was, um, I was a contractor through the Department of Defense working with the uh, U.S. Special Forces in Iraq. So you've done interpreting uh, with the Special Forces? Yes, I have. Wow, that's incredible. I brought Ken here today uh, because Ken and I both are really big fans of an incredible novel that we uh, wanted to sit down and talk about today, kind of go through and discuss, because I think it has a lot to do, even with the industry that we're in right now, you know, with culture and communication and even language, the way that language works. So if if you're listening at home and you haven't read it, A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khalid Hosseini is the book that we are talking about today. I will go ahead and read the back of the book here for you guys, so I'm not giving any spoilers. It says, A Thousand Splendid Sons is a breathtaking novel set against the volatile events of Afghanistan's last 30 years. From the Soviet invasion to the reign of the Taliban to post-Taliban rebuilding and puts the violence, fear, hope, and faith of this country in intimate and human terms. It is a story of two generations of characters brought jarringly together by the tragic sweep of war where personal lives, the struggle to survive, raise a family, and find happiness are inextricable from the history playing out around them. Propelled by the same storytelling instinct that brought millions of readers to the Kite Runner, A Thousand Splendid Sons is at once an incredible chronicle of three decades of Afghan history and deeply moving story of family and friendship. And it is devastating, in a word. <laughs> I don't know how you felt, but the first time I read it, I was beside myself. It was actually when I was substitute teaching and so I'd start reading it early in the morning and uh, I'm not an emotional person when it comes to books or media or anything like that I don't start crying you know at, at movies and there was a couple of times where it'd be 7 30 in the morning and I'd be sitting at my desk and have to put it down because it is so powerful so I'm yeah. wondering what were your first thoughts pretty much the same the first time I read it I was uh, overseas working in Iraq and uh, my daughter sent it to me and I started reading it and uh, it's an incredible book. It teaches you so many things. It makes you really appreciate what you have in this life that we're in today. It's a very powerful book. It tells about life in other countries, how people survive and they just want to go on from one day to the next. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes that one day to the next is a little more painful yeah. than it should be, evidently. Yeah, sometimes sometimes it seems like eternity yeah. to pass one day, 24 hours. Oh, yeah, which is one of the incredible things about the book, I think. For those of you who haven't read it yet, it essentially follows the journey of two Afghani women, uh, Miriam and Layla. 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 Miriam and Layla and details their journey in Afghanistan going from 1970. Oh, what year does the book start in? I think 1970s somewhere. Yeah, somewhere in the 1970s in Afghanistan, all the way through early 2000s. 
And so it traces these two women's journeys and the way that they intertwine with one another and goes through kind of that whole life experience and all of the the changes that happen in, in Kabul and the surrounding cities during that time. And so that's kind of where the book takes us. But one of the incredible things that I think it does with time is it stretches over this whole 30-year period, right? It's very expansive in the, in the time range that it covers. But the moments, like you said, sometimes that day-to-day getting through, because sometimes you'll turn a page to a next chapter and it'll be two years later, it'll be 12 years later. But sometimes you turn the page after like a very intense, you know, episode and it's the next moment but it feels like it's been an eternity yes it's it's breathtaking all the things that these normal people on this earth that go through and they just don't know what tomorrow may hold when they finish their day and they have no clue what's going to happen the next morning what's what kind of catastrophe they may have and they just live day to day and they do so in a time that's really a, a crazy time to be alive, yes. you know, just an unimaginable time to be alive in the location that they're in with Kabul and Afghanistan changing hands with so many leadership and you see culture shift. So many is hard to keep up with. Yeah. Sometimes. yeah. When, when you read, you got to make some notes in this book so you can follow who is there at that time. And the next chapter is... They're going to mention another group that changes hands and for power. And it's just a struggle from one day to the other. And they have to side with this group or that group. And it's very, very, uh, very uncertain times in the yeah. life of several people in that region. And the incredible thing is, this is not an unusual story for that region. It, these things happen every day in that region. It's a very exciting book to read, and it's uh, sad, but again, it will teach you things. Yeah, and that's really to the credit of the author, Hosseini, is the yeah, ability. He's amazing. Oh, incredible, just beautiful writing, but also the ability to create this historical cultural fiction that is a fiction but is so like you said so representative of a lot of the experience somebody might typically have in these circumstances in these countries Uh, but I want to go back to what you said because that was a big thing for me was figuring out the political landscape of this book and kind of keeping that rope untangled the whole time was it it was it was incredibly confusing I've lived in America my whole life I don't have a great understanding, you know, of the history of conflict in the Middle East, yeah. you know, how things change hands, even in just one country like Afghanistan, even just within that country. Well, well, and, typically, and you know, for us in, in this country, in the United States, we hardly ever know really the tensions in other countries. That's hard to keep up with. You, you may hear it as a, uh, a piece of news one day, and then you'll hear it again, and then that's it. You don't feel it, you don't live it, so you don't know. But if you're in that region, you would learn it, and you would know what's going on. That's why it is, as I said before, take some notes and when you read this book so you'll know yeah. what group was when, so you can keep it, keep it, keep track of it, basically, in your mind as you read so you can follow with the, with the story. Absolutely. I had to because at certain points you're, you know, you're reading in the book and you read about something like 
Like when when Layla's being, you know, beaten in the street for not having a chaperone with her, you know, a male chaperone or a male counterpart with her. But when these changes start happening within the culture, I, I found myself stopping and going, wait a minute, when did this start happening? Who, you know, made this law? When did this change happen? When did everyone in the city start doing this? And I have to go back and see, okay, wait, who's in control? Is it the Mujahideen? Right. Is it the Taliban? Is it the Soviet? You know, who's who's here right now? Right, right, exactly. Uh, you know, different groups have different uh, <clears throat> rules, different laws, and they implement them. And, you know, overnight, if they're overthrown, so the new groups comes in and Im- implements new rules for the community and so on. And that happens all the time. And it still happens in some countries in the Middle East. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so I think that, you know, a work like this, that makes it very personal. Because it is. It's a very personal, intimate experience reading this book. Yes, it is. And so I think focusing in on these two women and what living in in the middle of that is like from the viewpoint of just these two women, I think does a lot for understanding. I was obviously surprised or learning a lot of new things in this book, you know, from a culture that I'm not familiar with, a time period that I'm not familiar with. I feel like I discovered something on every page. I'm wondering if you had anything you learned that surprised you or shocked you or that... Well, first let's start with the things that I've seen in my life and familiar with reading through this book a lot of things that the kids did you know i was born and raised in iraq right and uh, when i read how they played marbles and they how they fly kites and how they uh, take the aluminum wheel off of a bicycle without the rubber and they would take a stick and they roll it on the street i've done all these things i just you know there wasn't much else to do at that time you know we didn't have any iPhones or right. any iPads. <laughs> There's no Pokemon Go no happening. Com- no. I, I never seen a calculator in my life until I got, I got to the United States. And in this book, uh, if I may add, I mean, even the, the sad events uh, like the, you know, suppose there was a funeral, they follow certain rules in the community for that funeral. It was all familiar when I read it, and it was... Uh, it was very. By the way, it's a very easy read. This book is a very easy read. There are no fancy words or difficult words, and you can. Once you're into this book, is again, it's very hard to put down because it's very unpredictable and it's very exciting. Oh yeah, I mean, as as far as the the diction, it is very accessible, which I like. But it's not. It doesn't sacrifice any of the quality. Is not something that I notice. Is I mean. We both read The Kite Runner before we got into this. Well, did you read The Kite Runner first, or did you read this one first? Yes, I did. I borrowed it from a soldier, and uh, that soldier was flying out in two days. So I read it in two days, and it was amazing. That's another amazing book to read. I can't imagine two days. (laughs) But yeah, the language is not difficult to get around, but the writing itself is absolutely beautiful. The other interesting thing about the words, which we have spent a little bit of time talking about today, even before we we hopped on this podcast, the use of Arabic words in the book. Mm. There's, you know, this is something that we see a lot of times with cultural fiction is, you know, whatever culture that that language will be present in the book a lot. But you took the liberty as an interpreter, somebody who deals a lot with language, somebody who clearly loves language, you know, listening to you talk about you know, the origins of words and your experiences with interpreting and languages and things like that. I just, I think it's the most fascinating thing. Yes. And so 
in anticipation for this podcast, you sat down and reread the book and now have a list of all of the Arabic words that you were able to find. Yes. But not just a list. You've also broken down the language groups that they come from (laughs) because there's four different languages in this book, which I never would have known. I would have just said everything's Arabic and then closed it. (laughs) So I would love for you to tell us about the the discoveries you've made about the words in this book. The interesting thing, I uh, found about 40 words that I've always used and I've always known in my life and I never really knew where they came from. For example, uh, the word rupia. Rupia is a currency that is used in Afghanistan. And I remember when my father, that was born in 1909, when he would talk, sometimes he would say, yeah, my uncle gave me two rupias. And I always knew it was a currency of some sort, but I never seen it in my lifetime. But I found this word in this book. I never knew where it came from, but it looks like it was a word that was used in some in, in these countries in the Middle East. I have a friend by the last name of Kayat, and Kayat in Iraq means a tailor. And I never knew that that word is a Farsi word from Persian Farsi language. I never knew that, and uh, I can't wait to see him to tell him, (laughs) because he probably doesn't know. (laughs) And, uh, you know, like the word madrasa. I went to madrasa when I was a kid, which is a school. I never knew it was originally a Persian word, and so on and so forth. So many words that are used in Afghanistan in the Persian language, now, I always thought they were Arabic, but really they're not. The word washi, washi is uh, someone that is a, a rough person, a very uh, aggressive person. I thought it was an Arabic word. It's not. The origin is uh, Persian because, you know, if you go back to history, the Persians had all that empire, including Afghanistan and Iraq, from, you know, hundreds of years ago so many words like the sweets we call it halawa and i found this word this in this book um the word jelly can jelly can is a word used in iraq for a can a can of something like a can of oil and i found it and i i I thought again it was from iraq but actually it's not so these types of things are exciting to find Oh, yeah. They're, uh, they're just eye-popping words for me because, oh, wow, this word. I, now I know where it came from. Wow. So, I, again, I say where it came from because they were there before. They were there. They, were, you know, they, they had that empire for hundreds of years. So Yeah. That, no, that's incredible to hear, and it makes me wonder. I mean, as a literature person, I, I can't say much about, you know, the origin of words as you can. But as somebody who studies literature, I can't help but wonder, are these words in all these different languages here talking about how the occupation by Persia kind of affected this language and the way that it formed? Yes. And so it makes me wonder if these words from all these different languages, you know, the Farsi, the Urdu, the uh, Turkish, the Turkish. Yeah. Yes. If all of these specific words get used in this book 
to kind of further comment on the way that these divisions and then reunifications and then redivisions really have heavily influenced the culture and and the daily life beyond even what we would think about in the book i mean it's it's obvious the effect that you know war and politics has on the events of the book but even before all of these things happen to read these words and know that the life of miriam and layla and bobby and Tariq and everyone was already marked before the the present day happenings happened, their lives were already marked, you know. By the way, though, you just said the word Bobby. Yes. B-A-B-I. Mm-hmm. It means my father. Mm-hmm. And that's an Arabic word that I used. I called my father Bobby. Bobby means my father. Literally, that's exactly what it means. Wow. So when I saw that, I said, oh, wow. <laughs> they, they use the same thing for a father as we do growing up. And it is interesting because Jaleel... And that's in, in, that's in the um, Aramaic tongue, in the Chaldean tongue, Chaldean language tongue. Right. It's not in the Arabic. Again, I found words that are Christian minority in Iraq use that are used in Afghanistan. Wow. So imagine the, how these cultures all mingled with each other over the years. It's like it's like a verbal family tree. Yeah. Just all throughout the region. <laughs> that's, that's a tracing good back <laughs> tracing back where these words came from. That's incredible. That's and really in the incredible. kite runner, it's it's the same effect. When I read the kite runner, I was just amazed uh, about the words that I found in there. And I found a lot of words for foods that I've had all my life and I never knew that they came from there. That's another subject for another day. Because <laughs> Oh yeah, I, we could talk I got, about this. I got excited when for a I long time. read the uh, A Thousand Splendid Suns and I decided to order the Kite Runner again. So it's coming any day and I'm going to read it again. Maybe we'll have a discussion about that book and discuss some words that I found. I would be very open to that. I think that would be fantastic. So I am curious to hear, since you've read both The Kite Runner and A Thousand Splendid Suns, I don't know about you, I... I personally would put this book miles over The Kite Runner. I would too. I really? Agree. Yes. And I think The Kite Runner is incredible. I mean, when I read The Kite Runner, I was just blown away, floored again with the beautiful, beautiful writing because it really is so gorgeous. But I was floored by The Kite Runner. I thought nothing would ever top it. And then I picked up A Thousand You know, sons. The Kite Runner, it took me back to my childhood also. Mm-hmm. because I flew kites when I was a kid. I made really? my own kites. I used to slice uh, pieces of palm trees and dry them out and take pieces of paper that is was very thin and used to take it and make a kite out of it. And I used to fly kites. Oh, my And goodness. I used to sometimes sell them when I was a kid in the neighborhood so I could make some money. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's really fascinating. <laughs> That's actually really fascinating. I never thought I'd I'd listen to anyone who actually had those experiences. Yes, uh, well, I, a lot of experiences overseas. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so I want to hear, besides language and everything, what was, personally, what was your favorite moment in this book? Or one of your, it's hard to pick because so much happens. Oh, yeah. I but, mean, there there is not a dull moment of this book. Oh, it's not just, at all. Uh, it's breathtaking in every page, and you just 
can't wait to see what's going to happen. My take uh, is, is very hard to say. I, I mean, again, it's all exciting. Right. It's very Apple, exciting. Of course. Uh, the poem that the title originates from, I don't know if you remember, um, but the title, A Thousand Splendid Sons, is actually a line from a poem that one of the character, one of the main character, Layla, her father, teaches her when they go on a trip. Um, right. Yes. So it's, but it's a poem. I think it's called A Thousand Splendid Sons. But the quote is from these two lines in the poem that Bobby gives to Layla. It says, one could not count the moons that shimmer on her roofs or the thousand splendid suns that hide behind her walls. Right. And it's a poem about Afghanistan. Yeah. A praise and ode to Afghanistan. Yeah. And so I really thought it was interesting that he well, chose. Well, that, that kind of d- describes um, what they go through in, in that type of life and that type of culture. How, yeah. you know, they're sitting up all night worried about what's going to happen the next day. And the next day, the sun rises and in hopes that they, it's going to be a better day. I That's what I'm gathering yeah. from it. They're hopeful that it's going to be a bright day. I just love that the that the phrase that was pulled from that to name the book was the thousand splendid suns, you know, the thousand splendid suns that hide behind her walls. Because if you think about it, that's kind of what the book is about is, you know, there's all this hopelessness, all this bleakness, all these, you know, really, really catastrophic things that happen in the book. But within the book, you still get the thousand splendid suns within the walls, you know, the the beautiful relationship that Layla and Miriam have, you know, Tariq, Bobby and Layla's relationship, their interactions, these beautiful little moments that do seem to like peek out from the walls, you know, peek out from the rubble. You're exactly right. The, the very little things that happened that are the shining light in this novel is just the little things. When Rashid steals a piece of candy when he was looking for work and he takes it back to his son. That was a huge deal. One piece of candy, one piece of candy made a difference for that child that day. Mm -hmm. It is kind of mind boggling to think about getting this book of all, you know, all these things that happen, whether it's, it's war, it's heartbreak, it's miscarriage, it's death. It's all, you know, all these things that go on and the title itself seems to challenge us almost like a Where's Waldo, you know, where you find all the little books. So where are the thousand splendid sons? There's a thousand of them in here in Kabul and Afghanistan. Can you find them? Yeah. And so I I, I think that's... But I think the 1,000 splendid sons is at the end. Mm. Don't Mm. tell anyone. No, I won't. Not for our (laughs) listeners. They don't get to know. You got to pick it up and read it yourself. Sorry, everyone. Ken has spoken. And uh, we cannot give you the thousand sons at the end because it is it's it's after after however many you know three hundred almost four hundred pages of getting beaten down the the end is yes the type of books that you can't put down Mm-mm. I mean um, yeah and there is only a couple of books that I remember in my life that I've read and I've read a lot of books that I can hardly put down and this is one of them 
it has a lot of life and a lot of dimension to it. I mean, somebody who's very familiar with the culture and the language can't put it down. Yeah. Somebody who's learning all these things for the first time can't put it down. So I think it definitely achieves its audience reach that yeah. the people want to say something to. It has something for everyone. Yeah. just want to add that one of the, the reasons that I was hired in Iraq, besides interpreting, was the uh, culture knowledge. I was a culture specialist also. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to have you back, Ken. <laughs> you <laughs> can back. you can host the podcast now. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll pack up. I'll go home. <laughs> Global Views is going to be hosted by Ken Jola now. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming, Ken. This was fantastic. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, for coming on, for sharing your words with us and your experiences and your knowledge. It was it was incredible. Well, that's what we've got for this week. So uh, if you have been listening in, if you are interested in learning about as much about Afghanistan as I did or as much as Ken knows, uh, well, that'll take you some more time. But you can start by picking up A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khalid Hosseini. It's available at most big bookstores, probably some independent bookstores near you. But we would both highly recommend it. An incredible, incredible work. That's our show for the week. If you had a good time or learned something new, be sure to like this episode, subscribe to us, give us a shout out, and follow us on Global Interpreting Services social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next Friday.